Ladies and gentlemen, drivers, gig workers, and everyone in between, welcome to This Week in Rideshare Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Hoffa. It is Friday, July 28th, 2023, and this week we chat with Rideshare Rodeo about current topics affecting gig workers. As always, Legal Rideshare breaks it down. And this week, I am joined by Steve Johnson from Rideshare Rodeo and, of course, Legal Rideshare's co-founder and lead attorney, Brian Greening. Gentlemen, happy Friday. Thanks for being here. Same to you. Yeah, happy Friday, Jared. Happy Friday, Steve. You know, this is interesting. We've, we've crossed paths before. Uh, Brian, you've been on Rideshare Rodeo, and now we have Rideshare Rodeo on this week in Rideshare. Um, a lot of hot topics to talk about. But before we get into that, I just want to first intro Steve Johnson, uh, explain what Rideshare Rodeo is, what you guys do. And then, of course, uh, toss it over to Brian. But, Steve, if you could go ahead, that'd be great. Sure. So I started Rideshare in 2015 in Denver, Colorado. And um, not far after 2017, I found myself making a website uh, because there was so much going on. I just felt like people needed to keep in touch. And then pandemic hit. And within a month of the pandemic, I started the podcast, now 247 episodes, the audio podcast. And got all social channels, got the YouTube channel and everything. And we talk about everything, rideshare, delivery, um, shopping, all the gig apps. So, um, And we do some pretty deep dives. So if you're interested, just uh, you can go to rideshare-rodeo.com and you can find all the social links from there. Awesome. And then, you know, we do this every time, Brian, but I think it's still important. Uh, what is legal rideshare? What do we do? How do we help? Yeah, you know, be, before I jump into legal rideshare, I just want to give a quick shout out to Steve and the work he's doing. It, it's really impressive how far um, Rideshare Rodeo has come since it started and all the episodes, all the topics. Um, this is a real authority here on gig work and, and gig related issues. So bravo to you, Steve. And uh, we, we've loved to watch you grow and, and you really are a, a, you know, a titan in this industry. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, but to answer your question, Jared, um, just a, a brief review of Legal Rideshare. We are the first law firm in the United States that's entirely dedicated to Uber, Lyft, and gig-related accident and injury claims. So essentially, that means we're personal injury attorneys um, who specialize in the rideshare and gig industry. We know the players, we know the companies, we know exactly the hurdles that that gig workers are likely to face, um, and we strive to be advocates and resources for people who find themselves in really tough situations, usually um, involving accidents or injuries on the job. You know, we, both, both of us, we, we discover, we talk about a lot of topics and there's a lot of things, current events, especially now, that are really impacting gig workers, some good, some bad. And I thought this would be a good time for us to kind of just do a round table and discuss some of these uh, hot topics that are really on the list that are really affecting people. So I'm gonna dive right into this for the first topic. And this is, this is a big one. Um, Child labor laws. So this is apparently, you know, 14 years old and older can start working on the app-based platforms. Now, Steve, I believe you had covered this pretty, uh, in, pretty much in length on your podcast. Mm -hmm. If you want to kind of recap and rehash what is going on here. Yeah, I mean, it even goes deeper, but we, as we talk quickly about, I won't get into the, the big picture, but I mean, there we're talking about bars and industries like that too. The service industry where they just doesn't belong, but specific to gig economy, um, 14 to 17 year olds. There's like, for example, there's one, there's one company teen hustle. They were on shark tank a couple of years ago. They didn't get the pass, but they're here in Colorado. And what it is is 14 to 17 year olds 
basically doing Amazon flex work on scooters. So wow. courier services on scooters. And we know that delivery has become as or more dangerous than rideshare. Um, people are getting killed, all kinds of bad stuff. And I don't know. I'm just, I just don't believe child a 14 year old's mind is fully developed. I believe that Amazon puts you under major pressure uh, for timing. They're going to be on scooters. There's going to be accidents. There's, there's going to be all kinds of problems. I mean, I can't, I can list a hundred problems. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, that nutshell is my, my issue. Yeah. And that's, yeah. yeah, Brian, go ahead. Cause I think there's, there's a lot of legal implications to this. I would imagine, you know, children are not really allowed to work now in the same vein, we've all had, or at least I've had a job when I was a teenager, but there, there needs to be standards in place um, as to the types of work that teenagers can get themselves into, um, as to who's monitoring it, who's protecting them, uh, making sure that they're treated fairly. And we've seen that the gig companies are taking advantage of their adult workers. So there's not really any reason to believe that the children are going to be any different. Um, from my perspective as well, I, I think that safety is is really one of the most important factors in this. And, um, you know, it's putting children at risk of assault, putting children at risk of uh, accidents. Um, we know just, you know, based on personal experience and studies that children take more risks than adults. So maybe trying to beat that red light um, on their scooter in order to make a delivery faster there's just, as Steve said, hundreds of reasons why this is a bad idea. And I just don't see the gig economy as the right place to put children. Put them behind a counter at a subway, have them you know, roll dough at a, at a pizza shop, like the traditional jobs that, that we're thinking of. Having them out and about in the community and perhaps in communities that they don't know, I think it's just, there's a lot of risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's just... It's 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 almost like this. We talked about this before, Brian, about the even with the apps and and just the writers themselves. Like this isn't even a gig work, and we're you know there's a concern just about that where you can be a minor and you can get an Uber or a Lyft, and this is just taking it to another level. We have personally handled scooter in, in, you know injuries and accidents with adults that was traumatic. So I just can't imagine that this is going to end well. But I guess as always, we talk about you know I guess we'll just see what happens. But I don't know. Not, not a good sign. Um, well, I'm going to jump to topic number two. This has been on and off, and I, I am, to be honest, I, I'm a roller coaster of emotions on this because it, so Minneapolis is considering minimum wage, um, and it's just, I don't know. Can, can one, of you, one of you guys understand what's happening here? Because I thought, okay, thank you, Steve, because I feel like it was like they had it, they didn't have it, they have it. So where are we right now? So, I, th- I mean, I think that we – we already have proof. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Every time this happens, like New York did it with rideshare, it, we end up with a floor meets ceiling situation. You know, some people are good earners and hustlers. Some people are a little more lazy and some people don't live close enough to be able to have enough volume or whatnot. But at some point when you start bringing in the numbers, you got to raise those low numbers up. And where does it come from? The gig companies aren't doing it. So they're taking it from the high drivers. I, I used to know people in New York City who made $60 an hour doing rideshare. When they made that law where it was $27.86 with the expenses, they at most were making like $35. So I mean, you- it just, it, it, takes, it takes the hustlers down and it makes it so that the people who aren't able to make it work as well get up to a very minimal standard, which is still just, 
too low. So to me, it, it needs to be independent so that if it doesn't work for you, it's just like anything, move on. Yeah, I think from what I understand, they're saying this ordinance, you know, drivers will get $1.40 per mile and 51 cents per minute or $5, which is ever. So it's sort of, you're saying it just sort of averages out, but then it takes kind of the bad actors and muddies it up. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, the other problem is, is that, you know, you had the governor, this already went for the state of Minnesota and the governor, they were ready to pass it. The governor gave his first veto ever in his in his political career. And now they're going for what the they're going for the um, just the city of Minneapolis now. So they're trying to go around him. And it's to me, it's like you're asking for the same numbers they're paying the Seattle drivers in that form. But it's like a third of the cost of living in in Minneapolis. So I'm not a big fan of tying numbers to this kind of stuff. I do. I do think I'm not a fan, but I do think legislation is coming in every state. And I actually am at a point now where even though I'm not a fan, I think on some level it's going to be needed. Yeah. And Steve, I agree with you that on some level it's needed and that it is coming. So we're going to talk later in the episode about um, the way that gig work has changed the economy. And it's also changed just labor in general. Right now, there are um, two classes, essentially, of workers, independent contractors and employees. There's not a, a nice fit for this gig work. And I think that there needs to be reform. There needs to be some understanding of basic protections, whether we're talking about minimum wages or due process in deactivations or, you know, there's a variety of things that can affect a gig worker. Everybody just needs to know where they stand. What, how are you protected? How are your rights preserved? And what's the, you know, what, what standards do the companies have to live up to to make sure that everybody is at least making a living wage um, and then the, the hard workers, the, the real hustlers can can do better than that. So um, just to, you know, to, to recap your point, legislation is coming and, and it probably is needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. And it, yeah, it's it, at least the good news is there's there's some rustling happening. Change is coming. Something's going to come out of this when the dust settles, which is the key. I'm going to toss this over to you. The next topic, Brian, because I think this is. I feel like we've discussed this before, but so now Uber drivers can sue over disputes in California. Do you know much about this? Yeah. So essentially what happened is a driver sued over his employment situation and in, in certain, uh, I guess, liberties or, or lack thereof. Um, and Uber came in and said, no, you can't sue on a class action uh, based on these employment issues because you agreed to an arbitration uh, clause in the terms of service. And in California, they said, actually, no, this driver does have the right to bring these these claims in court, uh, given a certain law that they've passed in California. Um, the at heart here of, of this issue is not really this exact case. What happens here, we'll see what happens. But it's the idea that the companies try to compel arbitration in all situations. And courts are starting to make rulings on that. The Supreme Court weighed in on it not that long ago. States are coming in individually and, and making these decisions. Um, but arbitration clauses are notoriously bad for workers, for victims, because they limit the scope of discovery. They often limit the size of an award. Um, to compel arbitration in all situations is, is anti-worker, it's anti-victim, um, and it's just pro-big business. So, uh, you know, I like to see that the, the California courts are at least saying in this one instance, arbitration is inappropriate. And it opens the door for the arbitration clause to be um, kicked in, in uh, various other situations as well. Yeah, I mean, does this 
this reminds me of when I a couple years ago, and, and you guys, either one of you can chime in here. Um, wasn't there a, a period of time, especially when Uber was really kind of almost sliding in that you need to accept arbitration on the app? Wasn't that happening a couple years ago? And drivers just sort of accepting it, and then it, it led, did it lead to here? Is that what happened? You still have to. Every time they do an update, you have to click the box, and you're and in that box, nobody reads the terms of service. Let's be right. honest, right? One percent, <laughs> and you're agreeing to that. You're. I mean, I don't know how you guys know how much legality those boxes carry. I'm surprised they carry any, um, <laughs> to be honest. But, but, um, but one of the concerns I, I would like to mention though is I have a concern about the Pega issue because if the state of California is taking seventy five percent how many gig workers have enough money to go hire an attorney? So even right. though it's a win, like what really will come of it? But I agree with you that the arbitration wasn't working either. I don't know what the answer is. It seems more like this one's way in your court, but. Yeah, well, I think to your point, Steve, about the, the lawyers, I think that gig workers are, are really in a tough spot when it comes to um, fight challenging the current system. It, these are not uh, typical. These workers typically don't have a ton of extra resources to pay legal fees. So it's important that there are lawyers out there who are willing to work on a contingency basis or who are willing to um, fight the good fight. Um, just frankly, th those lawyers are few and far between. Lawyers want to get paid for their work and rightfully so. But it puts the worker in a tough position where if they challenge and then win a case like this, they've got to find somebody who sees uh, real dollars in in uh, a contingency fee or the possibility of a contingency fee to take on the case. I do think that the case at issue, there is a, a high likelihood that a lawyer would want to take that on um, because we're talking about um, there's monetary fines, there's, uh, there's repercussions um, by statute when violations of labor laws are committed. Um, so I think that this one will get picked up. But to your to your point, Steve, generally, that is a challenge. Yeah. Well, we're going to jump on to the next topic, which, uh, Brian, you had hinted at, um, and definitely an interesting one. You know, gig work is changing the face of the U.S. economy. And I have uh, a pretty interesting stat here. The last time the Bureau of Labor Statistics officially uh, tracked workers with alternate job, job arrangements was 2017. So a lot has happened since 2017. And um, as we're seeing, it's, it is truly... Um, really morphing the U.S. economy, and I believe it's doing the same in the U.K. Uh, but certainly, uh, Steve, if you want to jump in here, that'd be great. I would love to. Um, I do know that Mike Karubi, if you're familiar with him, New Jobs America, uh, he, he took a look into this and got some 2022 numbers. Um, we had, pre-pandemic, we had 58, approximately 58 million independent contractors, both traditional and gig economy, gig app-based economy. Um, he said it's upward of 65 now, which is about 35% of the American workforce. Um, there's a documentary out called The Gig Is Up that says we'll be at uh, 3 billion um, workers in the gig economy globally by 2025. Now, that doesn't mean full-time. It just means people who have a hand in it, at least. And I do think that's coming, but I think that people don't realize that that gig economy is not what we know now. It's going to be nursing. It's going to be some other spaces, too. It's not just going to be food delivery and rideshare, but um, yeah, I mean, I look. I mean, I think that everybody wants a little more freedom. I think that uh, I think that uh, you know, 
I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm glad to see so many people coming on, but I think we all know the downfalls of it too, of the oversaturation makes it so that then I'm all for competition, but it's making it unhealthy, un, un, unhealthy un competition. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you've talked about it. We've all, we've all seen it, you know, during the height of the pandemic when delivery obviously was the way to go and the way to make money, people started on the gig worker side, they started, you know, employing the bots on the past, you know, on the customer side, they started employing the tip baiting. Um, so just like you said, with the saturation, it kind of became chaos because everyone was trying to grab that dollar um, and it really became a mess. And then really on the legal side, Brian, if you can kind of express what does that mean ultimately? Let's, let's say, I mean, you're saying 3 billion by 2025. What does that look like on the legal standpoint from this kind of explosion of gig workers? Well, sadly, there's not an answer to that question right now because we're not moving fast enough with the times. So we don't know what it looks like for all these employees or workers to become app-based and or gig uh, workers uh, in this economy. We need the governments worldwide. You know, we need particularly the United States, the UK, the places where it's really booming to set examples for how these workers are going to be uh, controlled, regulated, protected, um, ensure that there's not unfair competition, like talking about these bots, that should be federally outlawed because that affects the economy. It affects um, the worker uh, so and everybody in between. Um, so we just, what we need to do is catch up. And we saw, um, for instance, in Chicago, when Uber first came in, there were no rules, there were no regulations. They bulldozed through. Um, they knocked out the taxi industry, all those workers, the medallions, all that went to hell. And now we're sitting here in a situation where, you know, we're trying to pick up the pieces. We're trying to figure out um, how are we going to make sure that everybody's protected? How are we going to make sure that everybody's whole? We should have been doing that from the beginning. So now that we have these numbers and we can see that there is an opportunity to, uh, you know, set the standards, protect people before three billion workers put their hands in this industry, I think we should be doing so. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh Steve, you have any last words to chime in on this topic? Um, if we're if we're still going to hit on uh, the um, the algo in Europe, I'll, I'll 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 pause here and wait for that one to. Oh yeah, to yeah. So there. yeah, I wanted to kind of end on this. I think this kind of is a good transition to what uh, Brian had just said. Uh, again, unfortunately, not the best for workers, but the UK is officially watering down. Uh, regulations for what they're calling robo-firing. I think over here it's similar to what we would just call a deactivation. Um, so basically they, you know, they have in the past have been pretty good with stopping robo-firing. Uh, but apparently if this law passes, it will weaken a relatively little known uh, right to force app-based firms to basically explain why the gig worker was fired. If there's a good reason, they get back on. Um, so yeah, Steve, I'll, I'll hand it off to you and, and get your insight. I think that I think it's a very, 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 I've looked at this from so many different directions so many times. I think it's a very confusing situation because if you start saying that, you know, like I'm, I want people to be able to challenge a wrongful deactivation, but if you start just openly putting that out there, you're going to have everybody challenging, even the ones who know they got rightfully deactivated. And at the same time though, there is no way, and I and I'll bring up DoorDash specifically. I don't mind saying this. DoorDash is almost straight up running on an algo deciding whether you run or not, and whether you're going to be on the platform or not. I mean, there's there's almost no human 
person involved anymore. You're just deactivated or you're not, and then you can't get answers either. Same thing like is with Checker, you know, it's both right. of those are just notorious for not giving you what you need to know. Yeah. I mean, Brian, you and I especially have, uh, I mean, I have personally, and I know you have as well, talked to thousands of deactivated drivers over the last couple of years. There needs to be something. I think there needs to be some sort of some, like you said, I mean, there's in DoorDash, there's not even a person to speak to. So I don't know, Brian, if you have any insight or things you think that could make it even better. I don't think, I don't know if there's a solution necessarily, but something, anything to make it better. I think that this solution is due process. There has to at least be an understanding of why you were kicked off a platform. There has to be an understanding of who made that decision. You know, not not necessarily the, the person's name, but was it based on a, a safety issue? Was it based on a customer complaint in terms of the cleanliness of your vehicle? There needs to be one information and two, some sort of warning system. You know, of course, in every job, there is a, zero tolerance for, uh, you know, safety issues for, you know, drinking on the job, things like that. If, if that's the accusation and there's proof of it, then yeah, you probably got to go. But if we're talking about somebody says that your car smells, well, there should be, a, you know, a couple prongs to, to getting uh, kicked off the platform before that happens. We're talking about people's livelihoods and they need to know the facts. They need to have an opportunity to um, give their side of the story. And then ultimately, look, if we're going to be independent contractors, then the company gets to make the decision of whether to keep you on board. But um, just a, a on off switch today, you're on tomorrow, you're off. That doesn't seem fair to me. No. Yeah. yeah, we definitely need something. And it's as we know, around the country, around the globe, it's it's still an issue. So hopefully something starts to change again, maybe with all this other shakeup. With some of these other issues, maybe that'll come come to as a negotiation tactic. Not sure, but it would be helpful. Um, but thank you guys so much for being on today. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to give you guys both the floor. Uh, Steve, I'll start with you. And I know you also have uh, some exciting stuff coming up. So certainly uh, feel free to share that. Okay. Yeah, let me let me just focus on that. In fact, so <laughs> August, Saturday, August 5th from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Uh, we will be doing a town hall here in Denver at the Wash Park Grill. Everybody is welcome to come. If you're within 200 miles of Denver, I would actually say it's worth the drive. Otherwise, it will be live streamed on Rideshare Rodeo YouTube channel. Um, we are going to have um, representatives uh, Stephanie Vigil and uh, Mr. Priola, and we're going to have union delegates, non-union delegates, gig workers, content creators, everything in the same room because they're all always talking about it in their own spaces. Now we're going to be in the same room in person, not on a live stream, talking face to face about this stuff. And what what the bill that she tried to pass that was shot down by her own party, which here's how I see it now. We talked at one point about, listen, we need to arm that we need to better inform the drivers. Yes, we do. We need to better inform the customers. Yes, we do. But I believe now truly that it really all lies and we need to arm our politicians because they have no clue what's going on. And what I, the parts of the bill I believe in, number one, it doesn't have a dollar amount like what we were talking about in Minnesota, but it's, you know, no more acceptance rating, uh, complete transparency before you accept an order, everything. And that way, even if it's a penny and you don't take it, that's fine, but you have to be transparent. Where am I picking up? Where am I going? How much am I making? Don't don't have hidden tips and all this stuff. Um, and 
And also on the customer side, show the customers the breakdown. Show them what the drivers are paid because most customers do not know. And then the last part of it is where I get, again, a little, I, I'm, in, I'm just up and down about it, is the wrongful deactivation challenge. Because I believe you're going to get everybody, even the ones, again, who were rightfully deactivated, challenging. So there, I feel like there needs to be a tier system. And maybe, Brian, maybe you have more to say on that. But I feel like there needs to be like a one level where like you're saying, I was wrongfully deactivated. And somehow maybe you're putting up some money or something like, okay, put up 50 bucks. If you were wrongfully deactivated, you get it back. If you weren't, we keep it. Yeah, no, I, I think that there's ways that we can play with the system. My position is just, I think everybody deserves to challenge it. And if it's, um, if it takes a lot of the company's time or a lot of the company's resources, well, you know, they don't have to pay a lot of employee taxes and they don't have to pay a lot of insurance that a lot of companies have to pay. Maybe they can foot, you know, foot the bill for uh, dealing with deactivation claims and then they can make a decision as to whether somebody was rightfully or wrongfully uh, kicked off. But um, the, the cost, the time, that doesn't bother me. I, I want, if you've got a challenge to your deactivation, I think you should have the opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. Great, well then, yeah, I'll, I'll give, you, uh, give you the floor here to just give a little shout out to Legal Rideshare, where they, where they can find us, how we can help um, before we sign yeah. off. Uh, so Legal Rideshare, uh, the best way to get in touch with us is legalrideshare.com. All of our contact information is available. Um, we encourage people to reach out to us immediately. Uh, if they've been involved in an accident or been injured on the job, um, it is always better to come to us for a free consultation early on, have us give you uh, the advice that you need to protect yourself to ensure that the, that your claim is on solid ground. Um, and if we can help, great. If not, we've at least armed you with the information you need to protect your rights. Um, so please do not hesitate to, to reach out to us. Um, and I do just want to uh, take a, a brief moment to thank Steve again for coming on. We really Really appreciate uh, his time, his insight, um, what he's doing to fight for gig workers um, and the, the summit that he's putting on in, uh, in the next few days is going to be really exciting. And we're, we're uh, obviously very excited to see what happens uh, with it and after it. So thank you, Steve. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Thank you, guys. And as I like to say, that is the end of this week in Rideshare. See you next week.